Well, good morning, church uh, preschoolers. You are dismissed, and everyone else, would you please open up your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 20, as we are continuing our series, going through the Ten Commandments that we're calling Ten Good Words from Our Father. And just so you guys are aware, uh, I come into this morning's sermon with a bit of a a heavy and a hesitant heart, Um, because while I do believe we're going to get to a good place, I believe we're going to get to a hopeful place, I believe we're going to get to a place of healing this morning, uh, in order for us to get there, this is probably going to hurt first. Uh, When I used to work in the hospital, there would be people who would come in with these big infected abscesses. And uh, seeing the preschoolers leave, I realized Alyssa Shepard's probably the only one that would appreciate this. But uh, she's she's with the preschoolers, and that's good. Uh, But they would come in with these big infections, and I didn't want to hurt them. uh, But I knew that the only way to help them receive the healing that they needed, the only way to that end, was to cause them some pain. It was going to hurt. To drain an infected abscess on someone's body, I mean, you can use all the numbing medicine you want, but it is going to hurt. And so this morning, I could spend 20 minutes prefacing this commandment we've come to this morning. I could try to qualify it and help you brace for it. And, but for the sake of time, let me just tell you, it is going to hurt. But I believe it is the type of hurt that will serve to bring about the healing that we need. As our good Father desires us to be healed and to be freed and to be forgiven from our sin so that we could live and love wisely and freely as his children. We've come to the seventh good word from our Father, and it touches on a very sensitive nerve in all of us. It's Exodus twenty, fourteen. You shall not commit adultery. In Hebrew, it's two words, no adultery. And what we will see is that this is the underlying command that is broadly then applied throughout the Old Testament and New Testament as God's prohibition of any kind of sexual activity that is not in accordance with His design. And the reason that I'm hesitant to preach this is because I know that this will bring up some past hurts from your life. Some of you had parents who committed adultery and it broke apart your home. Some of you had spouses who committed adultery and it broke apart your marriage. Some of you have kids who committed adultery and it broke apart your extended family. And all of us, to some degree or another, have experienced sexual brokenness and sin. 
And so this is not an easy topic to preach on, but it is a necessary one because where we are most broken is where we need the greatest healing. Where we have sinned the greatest is where we find ourselves enslaved the most. And hopefully what you've been seeing through this series is that the law of God is the law of liberty. These words were given to help a free people stay free. And I've been exhorting you all summer, church, don't go back to living like slaves. These ten good words from our Father are to keep us from going back to living like slaves to sin. Now, as we've been going through these commands, we've been seeing four, thing, four things with each command. Some, some weeks I highlight this more than others, but this is how we're going to structure the sermon this morning. These four points that we've been seeing which, with each of these ten good words. We first see in this command the heart of our Father. Right? With each, each command, we're, we're seeing the heart of our Father. Secondly, then, we're seeing how this word exposes our own hearts and the sin that still remains in them. Thirdly, with each good word from our Father, we see how this word leads us to Christ. And then fourthly and finally, once we are freed and empowered through faith in Christ, once we are filled with the Holy Spirit, then these good words help guide us into how to live and love wisely and freely as children of God. So that's where we're going this morning. We're just going to go through those four points as we look at this command to not commit adultery. Now, for those of you with kids sitting next to you and you're feeling nervous, um, I get it, and I feel a little nervous too. Uh, I think what, how I'm going to speak about these things, uh, for our youngest kids, it will likely go over their heads. And for those that it doesn't go over their heads, it is probably time for you to start talking about these things as well. And so maybe this is the icebreaker that you and I need, okay? Okay. So, but before we jump in, let's, let's pray. Let's ask for the Lord's help. <clears throat> Father, we do need your help this morning. Lord, this is your word. This is your truth. And Lord, you desire and want good things for us. But Lord, because of our sin, we've, we've made a mess of things in our life. And this is maybe one of the more painful things. So God, I ask that you would guide my words. Help me only say what you want me to say this morning. Help, help only your truth be what, what goes forth here today. Holy Spirit, would you move and work in us? By the end of this, Lord, may we see the glory of Christ and may you apply the gospel to every part of our heart that needs it this morning. So, Father, please help and please heal. We come and look to you for your words of life. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus 20, verse 14. You shall not commit adultery. No adultery. You see, God wants what is best for us. And our good Father wants us to experience faithful, 
and true love. He wants that for us. That's that's not just for romance movies. That is for the people of God. He wants us to experience faithful and true love. He has put a desire in all of us for one true love, and ultimately that desire is meant to lead us to him. It's meant to lead us to him. God gave humanity the good gift of, of marriage and the good gift of marital intimacy to be a reflection to the world of Christ's love for his bride, the church. God gave the good gift of marriage and the good gift of marital intimacy to be the context and the means by which we are to have children and to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth and to subdue it. Now, some are called to singleness, but single people can still appreciate this good gift of God that he's given to the world because those who are married are to be reflecting this faithful and true love that Christ has for his church. They are to be reflecting that love not only inside their marriage, but also outside of their marriage to the rest of the church, to the rest of the city, to the rest of the world. And so for those of us who are unmarried, we should be able to see this gift of marriage and we should be able to get a glimpse of the faithful and true love that Christ has for his church. Hebrews 13 verse 4, it says, let marriage be held in honor among all. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. So whether you are happily married, unhappily married, happily single or unhappily single, you should be able to look at marriage and marital intimacy and see in them, you see them as good gifts from God and honor them as such. And God gives us this command, no adultery, he gives us this command to his people as a way to protect these good gifts that he's given. Now, in the immediate context, this command is prohibiting adultery that most of us know what that is, and it, 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 it is what you would think it is. This command is prohibiting married people from having sexual relations with anyone other than their spouse. But as we continue to see God's will revealed through his law, this command is then expounded upon, and we see God prohibit not just adultery, but also homosexuality and incest in Leviticus 18 and later in the New Testament in 1 Timothy. God goes on to prohibit bestiality in Exodus 22 and fornication, which is a term that would include any type of sex before or outside of marriage. And then, of course, we see Jesus come along and deepen and broaden this command and take it to the level of the heart. In Matthew 5, 27 and 28, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so just like the last command about murder that we looked, about, looked at, we saw that anger was where murder starts in the heart. So too lust is where adultery starts in the heart. And church, lust is not the same 
as the faithful and true love God desires for us. Lust causes us to be unfaithful. Lust causes us to be untrue and false because lust desires to selfishly consume someone as an object. Lust is when you desire to use someone for selfish desires. Lust and love are not the same thing. Love is when you give yourself to someone. Love is when you commit yourself to someone for their good. Lust desires to take and use people for selfish reasons. Now, church, God created sex, and he wants us to experience it the best way possible. The seventh command is not God holding out on us or causing us to miss out on some pleasure in the world. God is showing us how life works best. God is showing us how life flourishes, and he's giving us wisdom here to help us not destroy it. Proverbs 6.32 says, He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. God knows how this works best. He designed it. And it is best when it is in the context of marital love. When one man and one woman give themselves and commit themselves for life to one another. And so see God's heart in this. He's a good God, a generous God who gives good gifts. God desires that we would experience faithful and true love. Ultimately, that we would experience his love because it really is only his love that is perfectly faithful and perfectly true. And what we mean by that, so his love is faithful. Let's, let's talk about that word for a second. To be faithful means to have steadfast affection and allegiance. God is faithful. He's steadfast. He's, he's steadfastly affectionate and allegiant to his people. He's also true. To be true means to keep all your promises and never lie, never mislead, never deceive. Whether you are married or single, this is our Father's heart for you, to enjoy his faithful and true love. It is that same faithful and true love that we experience with him that he wants us to get a taste of in our marriages here on earth. That we would experience some degree of that with one another. That we could look at those who are married around us and we could get a reflection of some of that faithful and true love. That children would be raised in that type of faithful and true environment. That they would get a little taste, a little reflection of the faithful and true love that God has for them. You see our Father's heart in this. He wants us to experience his faithful and true love. So that's point number one. That's God's heart that we see in this command. He desires for us to experience faithful and true love. But now let's talk about 
how our hearts get exposed in this command. Because in our sin, we have not been faithful and we have not been true. We've taken part in unfaithful sexual activity. We've pursued false sexual pleasure. Church, this command exposes that our hearts are full of prideful lust. That's what this command is uprooting in our own hearts. Our hearts are full of prideful lust. This command exposes our pride. Because in our pride, we think we know best. We think we know how to best meet our relational and physical needs. And so we're going to do things our way because we know better than God. We've heard God's ways taught in church, but we've never really listened because our hearts are full of pride. We know better, and therefore we refuse to believe that God's ways are best. This is what pride looks like in the church, always hearing but never listening. It is humility that is required for people to actually listen. And that's true in the church, that's true in a marriage, that's true in a home, and that's true with God. But the command to not commit adultery, not only does it expose our pride, but it more specifically exposes our prideful lust. You see, when you pursue physical or emotional intimacy with someone that you are not married to, not only are you breaking God's will, but you are breaking something in you. That pleasure that you are experiencing is not true love. It is false love. It is prideful lust. You were designed to experience pleasure and intimacy in the context of marital love where two people are giving themselves to one another in a lifelong commitment. Prideful lust doesn't care about lifelong commitments. Prideful lust demeans people and degrades people and tries to turn them into sexual objects to be used for selfish reasons. I mean, if, if, if one of the main ways you identify yourself as a, as a human being has to do with your sexual preferences, someone has degraded you to get something from you. They are using you to take something from you. If you have been demeaned to just simply be a sexual object or just to be what your sexual preferences are, someone is trying to get something from you. They are likely trying to get sexual pleasure or money or political power, but they're trying to use you. They've degraded you to use you. They are not loving you. They are not speaking truth to you. They are not caring about your long-term well-being and health and needs. That is prideful lust. That is not faithful and true love. And so, church, if if you are sitting at a screen lusting after a person, you are demeaning an image bearer of God. You are dehumanizing them. 
you are demanding that the beauty that should really only be enjoyed by their spouse, you are demanding that their beauty very briefly satisfy you and you consume them for selfish reasons and you end up hating yourself and them in the process. That is not love. That is prideful lust. And God has something better for us. God has something better for us. If you are sleeping with a person who someone else is married to, you are not loving that person. Don't deceive yourself. In your prideful lust, you are destroying them and you are destroying yourself. You are demeaning them. You are demanding that they meet needs God didn't design them to meet and you are using them for selfish reasons. That is not love. That is prideful lust. And God's got something better for us. If you are having an emotional affair with someone, this similar thing is happening to you as well. In your prideful lust, you are looking to someone other than your spouse to meet your emotional intimacy needs whether it's someone of the opposite sex that you are attracted to, whether it's a friend, or whether it's your mother. If you are establishing a closer emotional intimacy with someone other than your spouse, you are going outside of God's design, and you are turning someone into, you are using someone to selfishly meet your needs. And that's not love. That's prideful lust. And God's got something better for us. If you are single and you are engaged in sexual activity with someone that you are not married to, that is not love, that is prideful lust. And you are stealing from that person and yourself some of the glory of the good gift of marital intimacy that God is trying to give you on your wedding night and beyond. That is not love. That is prideful lust. And God's got something better for us, church. Now here's the point in the sermon where we all sit under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and realize all the ways in our prideful lust we have committed all types of sexual sin. Let's just even now, let's, let's bow our heads. Holy Spirit, show us. Show us. Convict us. Now, church, we're almost through the painful part. Hang with me. Yes, we have sinned against others in our prideful lust. But we have all ultimately sinned against God. David, after committing adultery and murder and after being confronted by the prophet Nathan, he comes to this realization in Psalm 51 verse 4 that we all at some point have to come to. He says, 
to God, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Have you ever come to that realization? Like not just felt the, the guilt and shame of getting caught or hurting other people. I mean, you should, you should feel those things. Those are fine things to feel. But have you actually felt the weight that you have sinned against God? And marriage is his design. And marital intimacy is his design. It was his idea Yes, you have hurt a lot of people because of your sexual sin, but has it hit you yet that what you should be most grieved about is that you have sinned against God? And our sin deserves eternal punishment and separation from God and his kingdom. 1 Corinthians 6 9 through 11 says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, keep that verse up for a moment. Because verse 11 starts to get to the good news. The good news is that Though in our sin we wanted to take from people and use people, in our prideful lust we wanted to demean people and use them for sexual and selfish reasons, Jesus came and gave himself for people so that we could be forgiven and freed from all of our prideful lust. Because look at verse 11 now. It says, and such were some of you. And such, all that list we just read, and such were some of you, but... But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That is good news, church. And so let us now run to Christ. For such were some of you. But God... But Christ came. And, and, and do you know what some of, of the names of, of Jesus are? I mean, I know, you know, some churches, they've got the names of God all around. Let me, let me share with you some of the names of Jesus. Uh, we won't turn there, but in, Revela- in Revelation 19, he's given four titles, all right? One of the titles he's given in Revelation 19 is that Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You've probably heard that one before. King of kings, Lord of lords. In Revelation 19, he's also called the word of God. You've probably heard that one before. In Revelation 19, one of his names, no one knows but himself. I love that. Just to humble all of us who wanted to get him all figured out, he's like, nope, there's one name I'm not going to tell you now. You don't know. And I'm guessing that one name that no one knows except himself, if we ever learn that name, I just, I feel like it's going to just like make everything make sense to us. But for right now, he's, he's playing that one close to the chest. He's not telling us what that name is. But then you know what other title he's given in Revelation 19? In Revelation 19, we see him called the faithful and the true. 
you see, adultery is so offensive to God that it is what he calls it when people turn from him and chase after other gods and other loves. He calls it spiritual adultery. But one of the overarching storylines of Scripture is God redeeming people from their adultery and washing them and sanctifying them and justifying them and making them into a beautiful bride for Jesus. And so listen, if you've made a mess of your marriage or marriages, take heart. In Christ, there is a faithful and true marriage that is available for you. Jesus Christ is the faithful and true one. He is the faithful and true one that our hearts have longed for. He is the faithful and true one that in our sin we have imperfectly reflected and distorted to one another. The faithful and true one has come. This is the good news of the gospel. The faithful and true one has come. It wasn't any of us. The faithful and true one has come so that all of our sexual sin could be forgiven and so that the Holy Spirit could now dwell inside of us and free us from its enslaving power. church, this command, when we actually hear it and when we actually listen to it in humility, it should cause all of us to run to Christ, the faithful and true one. Because now in Christ, by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, we are now freed and empowered to live according to the will of God that is revealed to us in this command. And so let's move in now into that fourth point of what does obedience to this good word from our Father now look like? Right? We've seen our Father's good heart in this. We've seen our prideful lust that's been you know, stirred up. And we've seen it exposed in our hearts, this prideful lust. We've run to Christ, the faithful and true one. And now, in Christ, with our sin being forgiven and the Holy Spirit freeing us from sin's power, what does it now look like? to live and love wisely according to this good word. Well, first, it looks like saying no to any and all sexual activity outside of a committed marriage between one man and one woman. If you are committing adultery on your spouse and you are a follower of Christ, listen, it's got to end today. We break it off today together. You grab a brother or sister in here, you grab one of the pastors, and we take it to the Lord, and we end it today. If you are right now looking at pornography and enslaved to it, and you are a follower of Christ, listen, the journey towards healing has to start today. Grab a trusted brother or sister, grab a pastor, pray, confess it to the Lord, pray for one another. Let's start today. Let's break free today. It has to be today. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't, don't wait to, to think you'll reach out later in the week. It has to be today. You know it has to be today. Today is the day we start healing. If you are flirting with someone who is not your spouse, if you are in an emotional affair with someone, to, like today, that ends today. Be free of that today. 
If you got to quit your job, quit your job today and start the healing process. If you are engaging in physical intimacy before marriage, take that to the Lord. Recommit yourself to purity until you are married. Bring that today. Let's pray. Let's confess. Let's, let's be free of that today. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 5, 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Now Jesus did not intend for that to be interpreted literally, but he is trying to make a point. It is worth doing extreme things for the sake of fighting your prideful lust. It is that serious. You, you might need to get rid of your smartphone. I know that sounds extreme. That almost sounds like chopping off your hand. But for some of you, you just need to go do that today. Go get rid of it today. Go cancel your home internet today. Go change jobs. If you're in situations with, with people that you're flirting with and getting too connected with, go change jobs today. Go get filtering accountability software today. Today, you should commit yourself that there should be no secrets in your marriage or in your life. Let's do this together today and say no to any and all physical or emotional intimacy outside of our marriage. But not only does obedience to this command look like saying no to sexual activity outside of God's design, but this also looks like saying yes to the pursuit of physical and emotional intimacy inside of a marriage. Proverbs 5, verse 18. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. God gives us good gifts, church. He wants the best for us. He's not holding out on us. We should be pursuing physical and emotional intimacy inside of our marriages. But church, let me give you a word of warning. It never works well in marriage. Maybe in any other relationship in life, but specifically in marriage, it never works well in marriage to demand intimacy from a spouse, whether it be physical or emotional. It never works to demand it or to try to take it from one another. When your marriage turns into more of a hostage negotiation with you each having your list of demands, that is never a good thing. That does not go to a good and healthy place. Whether it's physical intimacy a husband might be demanding or emotional intimacy that a wife is demanding, it never works to demand from one another that is abusive. And the pastors need to know about that if that's happening in our church. I don't believe or I'm not aware that it is. 
But don't pretend to be a Christian and then go demand stuff of one another. Demanding from one another turns into abuse. But it's also really abusive and manipulative to deprive one another as well. God tells those who are married to not deprive one another of this good gift that God has given. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 3. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over his own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So, so here are our two warnings to, to not turn abusive in our relationship and in our marriages. Don't demand from one another and don't deprive one another. And don't demand from one another by trying to use this scripture talking about not depriving one another. Like, I don't want to hear of that at all, okay? Do not take scripture and then go try to make demands from it. I'm I brought the scripture up. Let the Holy Spirit do the work. Don't you go take this with a harsh, a harsh, domineering, demanding spirit and try to use it in your marriage. That is not pleasing to the Lord. Do not demand and do not deprive. That is not how Christians live. Christians don't take from one another. We don't withhold from one another. Christians humbly give ourselves to our spouse. We give ourselves. We don't take from one another. We don't demand from one another. We humbly give ourselves both emotionally and physically. Christian couples humbly seek to outserve one another, out-honor one another, out-care for one another. And what guides us to live wisely and freely in marriage or in singleness is this underlying principle that our bodies are not our own. Our bodies are not our own. Ultimately, they are God's. And if we are married, they are also our spouses. What did we just read in 1 Corinthians 7? The husband does not have authority over his own body. The wife does. You are not your own. You do not have authority over your body to do with it whatever you want. You are not your own. You do not have that authority. Even if you are traveling out of town on a work trip or everyone else has gone to bed, you are not your own. Your body is not your own. And so that leads us into two truths that we must remember as we seek to live in accordance with the will of our Father who gave us this good word in the seventh command. These two truths need to stay front and center in our minds as we leave this place and seek to live according to his word. So whether you are single, whether you are married, these two truths we must remember. The first one is that we are not our own. We are not our own. And the second truth is that God is faithful. God is faithful. 
So the first one, we are not our own. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20. Great verses to memorize. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. This applies to the single and to the married and to all of us. Flee from sexual immorality. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. It's the first truth we need to keep at the forefront of our minds as we go from this place. We are not our own. And the second truth that we must keep at the forefront of our minds is that God is faithful. God is faithful, church. What leads to sexual purity is not a prideful arrogance of, thank you, God, I'm not like all these other adulterers and all these other messed up people here. Thank you, Lord, that I am so faithful and so true. Be warned, that kind of heart posture is a heart posture of someone who is about to fall into utter destruction. It is not trusting in your faithfulness that will get you ready to be the pure bride of Christ. No, it is trusting in his faithfulness that will get you ready to be the pure bride of Christ. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. If you're right now really just looking down on everyone else having a hard time with this sermon, can't figure out what everyone's deal is, let everyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. There it is. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it, church. This gives us such hope and encouragement to go out from this place. For those of us who are feeling the full force of temptation to sin and to go outside of God's good design, when you are in those moments where you think, there's no way I can obey in this moment. There's no way I can. Remember, God is faithful. And whatever temptation he has allowed in your life, with the Holy Spirit inside of you, you are strong enough to endure it. Yet not I, but Christ in us. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. God is faithful. He is faithful in our temptations. He is faithful to us in our temptations. And he is also faithful to forgive. He is faithful to us in our temptations. He is also faithful to forgive. And some of you need to hear this this morning, that he is faithful to forgive. 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful to forgive. Isn't he good, church? Amen. He is also faithful to restore 
what we have made a mess of. And we'll close with this image this morning from Lamentations chapter 3. In Lamentations, the prophet Jeremiah, he's been lamenting over the destruction of the people's spiritual adultery uh, against God. So let me reword that. Uh, The people have committed spiritual adultery against God, and now the prophet Jeremiah is looking out on the, the wake of devastation that has come after that. Jerusalem has been destroyed. The people have been shamed. They were suffering. They're being carried off into exile. And in the book of Lamentations, we see these interconnected poems that move from this horrible loss and shame to an eventual restored hope and a prayer for renewal. And so this is where we need to end today. Because all of us, all of us, because of the sexual sin in our lives and in the lives of our family, we could all look out over our lives and our families and we can see the destruction that we've caused and the shame we've brought upon ourselves. And if that was the whole story, we would be right to despair. But may you look to Christ and see that that's not the whole story. May you look to Christ and remember God's faithfulness. May you look over the devastation that your sin has caused today. And may you remember the steadfast affection and allegiance of the Lord. These verses and lamentations were not written in the context of a perfectly pure marriage living out the script of the perfect romantic comedy. That's not the context of Lamentations 3. These verses are written in the context of the complete devastation that spiritual adultery has caused. Jeremiah is looking over the devastation left in the wake of adultery, and this is what he writes. In verse 21, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Oh, church, Jesus is the faithful and true one that you have longed for. May we find the faithful and true love we are seeking in him. And listen, church, he will be faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us and to free us and to restore us and to marry us, to be united with him both now and forever. Great is his faithfulness. Let the single and the married people say so. The Lord is my portion. Therefore, we will hope in him. Great is his faithfulness. Let's pray.